Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Divided Films, the podcast where we talk about movies that audiences and critics do not agree on. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello, season four. <laughs> We're starting a new season here, a new year, new season, new batch of episodes uh, to talk about movies that audience, audiences and critics, they don't agree on. They, ne- they never will, will they? They're just... Uh, coming from not two on different these perspectives <laughs> not, <laughs> not, on these, not on these movies no for sure uh they don't they don't see eye to eye um and usually we do but maybe this season we'll come into more movies that uh you know we'll have more of a debate about we'll see <clears throat> uh so joining us for this first episode of our new season is our good friend bridget welcome to the podcast hello thanks for having me on uh, great to have you here, Bridget. Uh, we've had many movie conversations in the past, and you know they're all going to waste. You know, not being recorded for a podcast, so we should put a stop to that and uh, get you on here. So true. So uh, today, to kick off our new season, we are talking about the 2018 music biopic *Bohemian Rhapsody*, uh, directed by Brian Singer and starring Rami Malek. This movie falls into the category of having a mixed score from critics and a positive score from audiences. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave this a 60% approval rating, while audiences only gave it um, the audiences did give it 85% approval, so a 25% difference there. And the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, Bohemian Rhapsody hits a handful of high notes. But as an in-depth look at a beloved band, it offers more of a medley than a true greatest hits collection. Um, so there you have it. This is a film that audiences uh, were more positive about than the critics. Uh, so let's just go around and see if you were surprised by this divide. Uh, what do you think maybe explains it and what your personal take on Bohemian Rhapsody is? So let's start with uh, Bridget. Sure. So I definitely fall squarely in the critics side of things, Um, maybe even a little bit more negative. Um, I just I saw the movie in theaters back in 2018 and I was super psyched. Obviously, I love Queen like everybody. Um, I got drinks at the bar. I was like, this is going to be a fun rockin' time. I can't wait to learn about Freddie Mercury. And honestly, watching it was kind of like seeing a Lifetime movie. Um, I just, every single, like, biopic musical cliche that I expected happened. I, I swear there were, um, like, five scenes where some manager who doesn't believe in them is like, this will never catch on. And it wasn't, I know there's a famous one scene with Mike Myers and the song Bohemian Rhapsody in the movie. But there were like four other scenes. And I think if you just like wrote a list of every single musical biopic cliche, this movie would have all of them. And I left the movie being kind of disappointed. I was kind of checking my watch the whole time. And then I rewatched it again a couple days ago. And it's since I wasn't in the theater that time, I didn't even get the cool like rock like concert scenes because I'm just watching. I'm like, oh God, I could be watching Rocket Man right now instead. Um. <laughs> there you have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, if you were to maybe do like a drinking game of music biopic cliches, right? This would probably chuck off every item on the list and you'd be pretty drunk by the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, maybe that would help the experience. I don't know. I am the band. <laughs> I am the band. I am queen. Oh. Yeah, that's another cliche, right? Like one guy taking center stage to the uh, chagrin of the other band members, right? Um, mm-hmm. what, what about you, Keith? I saw you nodding to a lot of Bridget's comments. This is the Queen movie. This is the Freddie Mercury movie. That being said, they deserve so much better. Yes, they yes. So much better. Well, does I, Freddie like, Mercury does Freddie Mercury deserve better? I don't know if the other members of the band deserve better. Well, they because... were heavily involved <laughs> about. It. They were heavily involved with it, which we'll get into. Like this mm-hmm. isn't like like Roger and Brian have been working to get this made for years now, and <laughs> I, it, which is shocking that it ended up the way it did. I think it's a, I think it's also a miracle that this movie got made in the first place. 
I and agree. We'll get into you, that too. It's the kind of movie that just has a lot of baggage with it. So it was in development for what seems like 10 years, maybe like eight years for a really long time. And they went through all of these different people who left for creative differences, you know, like original screenwriters had left, prospective directors left, the original choice to star in the movie, Sasha Baron Cohen, oh, you know, left. That would have been perfect. That would have been really interesting. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but, his movie his movie idea would have been so much, especially in 2018. I can forgive, mm-hmm. like, a movie cliche. Like, I, I, I enjoy Ray. I, I enjoy Walk the Line. I, those are also heavily cliched movies, but I think they were appropriate for that, for what they did. But mm-hmm. it's 2018. I we need something. <laughs> we need a Bohemian Rhapsody instead of. I agree. This. You know, for it's aimed after their most innovative song, and it's kind of a you know doing the song disservice, I would say, because it's a very conventional music biopic. Uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean. This is the movie that it seems that Brian May and the drummer uh, Roger um, Taylor. You know, Roger Taylor. It seems like this is the movie they fought for for all the talent that got turned away because they really wanted to be uh, the driving force behind what was being told and how they were being presented, and they were worried about Freddie's legacy being tarnished if they did things too provocatively, but. I think it is just a disservice to Freddie Mercury himself to just not be daring, right? Because he himself mm-hmm. was so daring. This movie took no. This movie so, so sanitized, took no risks, and None. I, I guess if you're a musician who has no idea how to make movies, do you want like I just want to entertain people? But it it just played it so safe, and it ended up being just lack a, a disappointment. <laughs> Even I mean, I, I I'm willing to say I detest this movie. Okay, thank you for saying that because I didn't want to come across as too negative. I was really honestly annoyed watching it. Also, um, speaking of the other bandmates having such creative control, I don't think it was a coincidence that they came across in a very flattering light. Oh, yeah. Um, and Freddie's. The bus. They threw, they threw, they wanted something that respected Freddie, and they really did throw him under the bus. I, like, you cannot, Brian May, there's that scene where. Him and I also keep reading the name of um, Roger Brian Taylor. May and Roger Taylor yeah. uh, meet Freddie at that party. And it seems like a pretty fun party to me, honestly. It's not that crazy. And they're like judging him and like, you've gone too far, Freddie. You're having a fun, crazy party. We got to get back to our wives and kids. It's like, oh, come on. Like these guys, guys never partied. Like, Rock and rollers. Yeah, they all did drugs. They, they don't party. Drugs. <laughs> totally. They all did drugs. God like, forbid hey, a hey. rock and roller has a party at his house. So <laughs> yes. unusual. Uh, you know what? Like Brian May and Roger Taylor, they just come off as really uninteresting in this movie. Uh, if anything, I mean, they did a good job casting actors who looked like them. The actor who was cast to play Brian May looks just like Brian May. Maybe it's just the hair, but <laughs> they don't really do anything in the movie except, you know, they go along with Freddie's ideas for a while, but then there's the cliche resentment. And, um, you know, is it about Queen or is it about Freddie Mercury? Because I reading the research it, one of their concerns, too, was making this a Queen movie and not a Freddie Mercury movie. And it, I get a sense throughout the movie that it's not sure which one it is. Yeah, well, it, it kind of flip-flops. Actually listen to this interview with Sasha Baron Cohen where he said one of the reasons he left the project is because the bandmates wanted Freddie Mercury's death to be the midway point of the film and have the rest of the film be how the rest of the band, like, coped and triumphed despite tragedy and that's unbelievable <laughs> that's ridiculous i mean mm-hmm. you know first of all it doesn't even that's not even where they wound up going with this project so i guess someone else had to change their minds about that but again <laughs> as if you know if if we were to follow these characters post freddie mercury you know, I maybe they figured, well, actually, we don't really have much more to show, given what they're shown <laughs> with Freddie Mercury. They don't contribute much. So on their own, they really wouldn't have a leg to stand on. It would have that end game flashback like five, 20 years later. Adam <laughs> Lambert. The, yes, Adam I want to see the Adam Lambert years. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he can play. He can play more than just a truck driver. Uh, well, well, I don't know about that. He, yeah, he was in, he was in the movie. 
Right, right. He he's the guy who like uh, winks at Freddy. Which and goes is nice. Into the I, I like. Which is nice as a cameo. Like, hey. Now that's you... now talking about cliches. That is a like gay cliche. Like the old truck stop restroom. You oh know, my god! Yeah. As if this movie wasn't going for enough cliches. Uh, and it's just there's a lot of would be stylized lines. Like there's like the one line that really made me groan when uh, they're talking to uh, Aiden Gillen's character. You know the manager. And he's like, you know, why, you know, why Queen? And, you know, there's tons of other bands. And uh, I think John Deacon's character says, um, not every band is Queen. I'm like, well, yeah, technically that's true. But what does that even mean at this point in the movie? Uh, you know, like there's a lot of would-be moments like that where it's like you're supposed to like smile or be impressed at how witty the writing is, but it's not. You know, it's just it's trying for that, but it's not hitting that mark. This whole movie has... Like it's built on a applause moments. Like, you know, we got to get the band in. We got to get the audience involved. <laughs> like, why don't we just like? I got a beat in my head. Dun dun. <laughs> I guess we are the champions. Like, it's just like, oh, look at that fat bottom girl. Like, it, it, it's all supposed to set you up for be like. So that's how they did it. Yeah. Opera but... in a rock song, unheard of. It's like, oh come. On. As if I, rock I... and opera had never been married before, you know, except mm-hmm. for uh, the Who's Tommy in 1969, or the Who's Quadrophenia in 1973, or I believe the Kinks also had a rock opera. Like these are two words that were <laughs> together way before Queen got involved. I do want to go on record, and I think, uh, like, uh, uh, Brian Singer aside, I I really enjoy the talent of I I, I respect the talent of this movie. I really enjoy Rami Malek as an actor and it was nice to see Mike Myers again. I miss Mike. I really, I would root for Austin Powers four. Come uh, back to us, Mike. Yeah. That being said, I hated that scene. I hate the wink. Like, you know, no one's going to nod their head to the camera. Might as oh. well like wink, wink. I know. I, like, I, <laughs> that was another, that was probably the most groan worthy moment of the movie. Like, yes, we know this is we, like, and, the guy from Wayne's World, like we get it. Like uh, someone at the theater turns around, like that, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like, I get that reference. That's no, but that's this entire movie is I get that reference. Right, uh, and you know, audiences are you know prone to fall for those kinds of things. These are things that they have enjoyed in past movies, so there is like a familiarity to this film that I think that certain audience members would enjoy, I suppose, if you do love those, again, very cliched music biopics, then, you know, sure, this is the movie for you if you like the same thing over and over again. That's probably why the audience score was so high. Exactly. It's, you know, <laughs> they, you know sometimes audiences like that sense of uh, formula uh, as frustrating as it can be for more, like, seasoned filmgoers. Well, this is an event movie. I totally get in the theater... Like you're probably there are people dancing in the aisles like that. I, that especially you're seeing a concert, especially like the last 15 minutes is a concert. I do think I the could... last 15 minutes, the live aid scene is one, probably the most impressive scene of the whole film. And, you know, two, that's probably what sells it for the audiences the most. You know, it, it the movie does end on a high note, you know, pun intended. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the last thing that the audiences are left with is this big glory moment of yeah. Queen, you know, having mm-hmm. their last hurrah. Uh, and so, yeah, if that's what you're left with feeling at the end of the movie, yeah, that might carry with you leaving the theater, t- you know, through the rest of the night. And then your your last memory of a movie usually is the last thing you felt. So, uh, yeah. you know, if you, but then if you go back and think about it more, you know, through a second rewatch, it's like, oh, wait a second. Like, there's all these other issues with the movie. And this I movie think... does not warrant a second rewatch. Like I don't think people seek a second rewatch of this movie out. Some might do, but you mm-hmm. you're still feeling the afterglow of this movie to be like, I liked it. It was fun. Like sorry. I think it's better for people if they don't watch it a second time. No, exactly. Cuz then <laughs> then you like remember all the things before that last scene that didn't work. And enjoyed the show. Thanks, man. Thank you. I've been following you for a while actually. Smile. Makes sense for a dental student. And you're astrophysics, aren't you? Yeah. Makes you the clever one. Yeah, I suppose it does, yeah. I study design here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Also, um, write songs. Might be of interest to you. It's just a bit of fun, really. You're five minutes too late. Our lead singer just quit. 
Well, then you'll need someone new. Any ideas? What about me? Uh, not with those teeth, mate. Um, you know what really rubbed me the wrong way, too? My least favorite aspect of this film is the villain. Uh, the uh, Paul Prenter character, is that his name? Mm -hmm. He, um, now listen, I know this guy in real life did do things like, uh, like talk about Freddy's sexuality to the press and sell the story and stuff. And maybe he was as controlling in real life as he was in the movie, but he is filmed and, and like acted out in such a super slimy villainous way. It was taking me out of the picture completely. You know, the one scene where he like little fingers, little finger, you know, in the, in the limo. And <laughs> yes. he's, you know, he, he like, um, yeah, he fools the guy and tricks him into getting fired. That whole thing, the look on his face is as if he's like a James Bond villain or something. He just pulled off this major move, like, you know, checkmate. And I'm like, ugh, like this is my least favorite thing about old movie cliches is this one dimensional, super slimy villain type uh, that is just, for me, dragging the film. He just is giving me this bitter taste in the movie. And again, this is the very much the perspective of Brian May and Roger Taylor. They clearly dislike this guy a lot, and it shows in the movie. This is like the most unreliable um, narration or perspective in a movie. Well, I think it's always kind of slimy in these biopics. You have to have a movie villain. But Why? In the... <laughs> this is a real story. You don't well, this isn't an artistic masterpiece. It's just a cheesy, like it shouldn't be like this because it's about Freddie Mercury, but it's just this cliche storm. So you have to cast your evil villain and then it gets into really uncomfortable territory when you're casting a villain, you have this villain who is a real person who lived. Um, and then of course it's from the bandmates perspective. And like you said, they didn't like this guy. And this guy has living family who obviously didn't like that he was this cartoonish evil villain. It's just really rubbed me the wrong way. It is like the most morally bankrupt part of the movie. It's like, it's almost <laughs> if every problem this band has, it was this guy's fault. Essentially. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying. And, uh, you know, that goes back to how simplified they made the story, which again, I get that you have to simplify some aspects of a person's life or of a band's history for the sake of a movie's dramatization, but they were doing it so much uh, that it was like tiresome. Like we just were getting sick of it after like, you're not even halfway through the movie. I was sick of it. They didn't have to go the route they did though. I mean, for any of these like choices, I, I'm surprised a movie like this got made in 2018 when it's hard to take this movie seriously or any biopic seriously after watching walk hard. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> yes. and I'm like, it, it, like there are points in the movie and I, I know I'm not the first person to make that reference, but as I was watching the movie for the first time, I'm like, this is walk hard. This is following the, like, don't you get involved in this, Freddie. Well, like, this his is dad, like, the wrong yeah. kid. Like, it's it's all the stereotypes. It, it just made it, I was laughing at the movie. Right, the disapproving <laughs> parents at the beginning. Like, I, I saw one of the critics' reviews was um, something along the lines of how Bohemian Rhapsody is the kind of movie that walk hard tried to prevent you know, or put an end to yeah. it, right? Like, okay, after Walk Hard, it's like, all right, fine, we can't get away with this anymore. And Bohemian Rhapsody's like, maybe we can get away with this one more time. It's like, no, they were right. The, and one of the reasons why I, like, I, I, I detest this movie, and it's kind of, it's not often I detest a movie, uh, is because this movie was successful. Rami Malek, this movie did win Oscars, and that's okay. But Rocket Man did things creatively differently. It, like, it was just as good, if not Ugh. better, in my opinion, and got if, nothing. Like, it okay. basically got swept under the rug. And that's what makes me, like, angry. It's <laughs> honestly one reason I'm so dang mad at this movie. One, because it prevented a really good Freddie Mercury biopic to be created. And two, because it totally ruined Bohemian, not Bohemian Rhapsody, it totally hurt Rocketman's chances. Like, Taron Edgerton would have absolutely won an Oscar if Rami Malek hadn't won it the year before. Um, and Rocketman is infinitely a better movie, despite yeah. also hitting a bunch of cliches, but it, it does it, it tried in to be way different. more authentically. It tried to be different. It, right, it takes risks. It was and, fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Super it's, fun. High it, energy. Yeah, exactly. And it, it kept up the energy. Uh, and it just, it's it's taking chances and it's basically doing a lot of things we wish this movie had done. 
Uh, and I also feel like this movie uh, loses a lot of the energy. In fact, uh, probably the thing also that irks me a lot is the fact that the parts of the movie that drag for me the most are the parts about Freddy's life. I thought the parts where I was getting more into it were, you know, as silly as it was, the parts where they were writing their music, you know, performing their music, touring, you know, that kind of stuff. I thought, you know, that was you know, had more energy to it and a little more fun. And then all the parts with Freddie just seemed to, to drag and, and just be a little too overly sad. And uh, I think that's a shame. Freddie's scenes, you know, the parts in his life should have been more interesting than the business of the band. I found it kind of like, especially like insulting, uh, like what they did. I can't remember Jim Hutton. Yes. Uh, how they just like oh it's like they forgot him and they're like we have to put, we give him two scenes it's write like, him back into him, the movie him, oh. write him write him into the movie like it's just like it's like oh yeah this is the guy who spent Freddie spent like the last year of his years of his life with and he was the caterer and he picked him up right before Live Aid that's it like and th- it, that's so insulting they're also like oh no we forgot to put positive gay representation in this movie exactly <laughs> yeah exactly like hello like all of a sudden all of a sudden when they, when he like goes back to jim hutton right before live aid now they're boyfriends like they're holding hands at his meeting his parents like right before the concert like wait a minute like they probably at least according to this movie's portrayal haven't they only spoke once before years before and now he's like holding hands with him at his parents house and there he's bringing him to the concert and they lived happily ever after like a lot is missing here and if you want <laughs> to touch on this you probably should have just focused a lot more on that you know part of me even was thinking that they really wanted to dedicate enough time to tell queen's story and freddie mercury's story together maybe they should have done a miniseries and uh really done some deep dives instead they're doing this very um, unfocused project that, you know, narratively it's unfocused, and then also creatively, it doesn't really even know what it's trying to do. And uh, part of that impression, is, here's my impression of Brian May reacting to saying, "You want to do a miniseries? A mini what? Like, no, <laughs> May. Like, we're not doing not uh, just one, one two-hour movie. Not eight, not eight hours. They're not going to do that." <laughs> Yeah, he's still operating right. like it's the early 2000s, I guess. See, we don't want to repeat ourselves the same formula over and over. Formulas are a complete and utter waste of yeah, time. Formulas work. Let's stick with the formulas. I like formulas. We call the album A Night at the Opera. Are you aware that no one actually likes opera? I like opera. Do you? I do. No, don't misunderstand, darling. It's a rock and roll record with the scale of opera, the pathos of Greek tragedy, the wit of Shakespeare, the unbridled joy of musical theater. It's a musical experience rather than just another record. Something for everyone, something... mm, Something that will make people feel belongs to them. We'll mix genres, we'll cross boundaries, we'll, we'll... we're speaking bloody tongues if we want to. No, th- there's no musical ghetto that could contain us. That's it. No one knows what Queen means because it doesn't mean one thing. Right. So part of the reason why I feel like this is so unfocused is because the director, Brian Singer, was fired with two weeks to go. What also still a third of the film left to film, which is kind of nuts to film a third of a movie in two weeks time. And, of course, the director's the one who's in the editing room make, you know, putting the story together. And so you have one director putting together you know, a film that was shot by someone else. And, like, were they on the same page? I have no idea. And it didn't really feel that way. Uh, so, you know, you could tell that there was just a lot of things going on behind the scenes that also uh, held the film back. I heard that... Um an excuse for some of the poor editing in a few of the scenes is because the scene was like half edited and then the next director came in and he wasn't quite sure where to go with it. At least that was the explanation for that scene that went viral where they're meeting with Aiden Gillen's character. And it's like 
shot, 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 shot. Like, it's the most bananas editing I've ever seen in a movie. And this yeah. movie won an Oscar for editing, so what do I know? What are they, what are they thinking? <laughs> the movie Notorious for its, like, very bad editing somehow wins best editing. I, I didn't really see the I mean, it was just there's just tons of reaction shots that seem kind of pointless, right? Like, even during the Live Aid scene, there's just – they keep cutting back to just people, like, watching – like over and over and over again and that kind of also is just kind of strange to me like okay we saw that person's reaction three times already why do we keep going back to that um you know for like a nanosecond maybe they think to keep up the energy they have to like make us motion sick with all of the different (laughs) it's not it's not enough energy to have freaking (laughs) freddie mercury like running around stage and doing his thing that's not enough energy to hold a viewer's attention we have to get a bunch of people watching the director did both of them didn't trust that the audience would go into this expecting more and i guess they were right because this movie made a ton of money um but it's like oh we gotta like jingle keys in front of people and make sure that the attention is held i will say um despite a lot of the terrible editing choices, there are some scenes I think are really well done in terms of just the style. I actually really loved the opening scene where it like switches between him getting ready and you see the shot of the cats uh, and he runs out on stage and you only see it from behind. That was really engaging. And then the ending was really good. Kind of on your point of like, oh, it finished really strong. I think it started really strong, finished really strong. There were a couple interesting music videos in there, but because the rest of it was so mediocre, people are only going to remember like the cool editing in the musical sequences. Yeah, like the high notes will stick out the most. Also, the music itself, I was reading some of these audience comments, and some people enjoyed it just because of the music, just because obviously it's the Queen's music, that's the soundtrack, and... They like Queen so much that the music alone sells it for them. Like you can just listen to a Queen album and that would do the job as well. I mean, this movie did make me mm-hmm. want to listen to Queen music afterwards. Uh, but like, what's the difference then between listening to an album and watching this movie is all you want is the music. This movie's the equivalent of seeing like a Queen cover band, but they're lip syncing. <laughs> oh, man. You know, ironically, like... I, I, I kind of had to laugh when Rami Malek, like Ezra's like, I do not lip sync. I'm like, oh. I'm like, mm. they have to put that in there. Like more like <laughs> meta irony uh, for this movie. And I like Rami Malek too. Not in this, but I I enjoy his rise as an actor. Oh um, sure. I mean, but the thing is, what has Rami Malek done since this movie? I don't know. He, he's in a movie that they're promoting. I, maybe to timestamp this movie, I keep seeing ads on YouTube where he plays a detective with Denzel Washington. Uh, and what? Uh, it's coming. It, it, it's like one of those, you know, detective, the little things. I don't want to date this movie, but like oh. I keep seeing ads <laughs> of it on YouTube. He's still working. Oh, okay. he's gonna be the he's gonna be the Bond villain whenever that whenever that movie comes out. Oh, oh yeah, okay. no time to die. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure by the time this airs, it's still not out. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, by the time a... you listen to, whenever someone listens to this, it's still not out. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Being being how things are right now. I, I think I 10 years see. from now, we might be seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel yeah. Craig can finally retire. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, and yeah, I, I think Rami Malek, probably the best thing I liked about his performance was the fact that he's bringing that sense of vulnerability to the character, right? Because you, you do, um, yeah, everyone I think knows by now that on stage, Freddie Mercury has that bravado, but then, you know, off stage in his own personal life he was much more guarded you know insecure and i think rami malik does a good job kind of balancing that but the problem is i feel like rami malik is just so largely unsupported doing that and he is kind of like doing all the heavy lifting in this movie and i feel bad that he's not getting the support from his supporting cast or from the director or just from really any other aspect of the movie like he alone is carrying this movie much like freddie mercury carried queen <laughs> rami malik is carrying bohemian rhapsody rami deserved a better movie to be freddie mercury in yeah uh, absolutely it, now you know oh, this oh, might oh, actually be... hold on. i, yeah. I want to i do i know he gave a shit and i do like 
and like uh, reading the fun facts, like he put himself through movement training, and he oh I, yeah, he, he, he did he, give a shit. He, he studied a lot about Freddie Mercury's life, and through that studying, he became an even bigger fan of Freddie Mercury than he had been before. Who wouldn't? I, if I if I right. became Freddie Mercury, like who? Uh, but I hated him after I learned that, more about him. <laughs> that being said, I think Freddie Mercury is a larger, is such a. There's a fine line between a real performance and like the SNL caricature performance, and it's and I know Freddie. It's a hard line to walk, and I think Freddie. I think Rami kind of leaned towards SNL caricature like i felt like i was watching a caricature performance of him enough that it's just like i I, look i love mr robot i supported you rami when you were on kenny when you were kenny in grounded for life that fox sitcom i really enjoy his (laughs) rise as an actor i do not like this movie and i don't like his performance (laughs) wow that's a hot take. now i also i have a hot take for you as well so uh this movie you can say is like a lot of like flash not a lot of depth and maybe just sort of um remembered for like its leading man you could maybe say that about the band queen i mean i like queen's <laughs> music a lot it's catchy but is it like deep music is it innovative music no it's you know it's 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 got one of the best vocalists of all times Freddie mercury makes that band but when besides Bohemian Rhapsody, does their music really push the envelope? Most of their hits, I don't really think so. I think a lot of their music was just really catchy commercial music, and there's a place for that. And you know, maybe this movie you could say because it's being again like controlled by those two members, Brian May and Roger Taylor. You know, they kind of what they made their band, they kind of made their movie, so to speak. So. I. Listen, I weep every time I listen to Fat Bottom Girls. How dare you? <laughs> you weep you weep with joy or you weep with sadness? I'm I'm so moved. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. No, I love I love my I love my uh Queen, you know, playlists and I love listening to their stuff for sure. I however do not like to hear people do Queen at karaoke. That rarely <laughs> goes well. I can't tell you how many times the atmosphere of a karaoke bar has been destroyed by someone's ill attempt at doing Bohemian Rhapsody and absolutely (laughs) being a total dumpster fire. So listen to their music. If you must sing it, sing it at home. Don't bring that into a karaoke bar. Coming from the supersonic man himself, JJ. (laughs) (laughs) Call me Mr. Fahrenheit. We Will Rock You is pretty much made to be, like, shout while drunk at a bar. And then everyone's going to, like, you know, I I think that is a perfect song. Bohemian Rhapsody, definitely not for karaoke. No, no. I mean, maybe, yeah, if you do We Will Rock You into We Are the Champions, and then, yeah, everyone drunkenly has their arms over each other. We are the (laughs) champions, my friends. You know, if you're drunk, you can enjoy that. Anyone who walks into the bar at that time still sober probably will have that ruined for them. But uh, you I feel know, like if you I've get only on seen that, that drunk... in commercials. I feel like I've only seen that happening like real in like beer commercials. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, one day I can be a part of that. No, and but enjoy it. Uh, God, this movie should have been like an artistic rock opera, like mixed it with, with like a biopic. I they I hate oh. that they went so safe with it. You know what? Maybe you could do. Um, so later this season, we intend to talk about the film Across the Universe, which is like a Beatles jukebox musical. What if you did a jukebox musical with Queen? Specifically, what if you did like A Night at the Opera? Because that was a that was like the focus point of this movie. Like you, you know the the Night at the Opera album and its recording. You could do like a rock opera of A Night at the Opera and make something totally like stylistic and crazy and you know, a mishmash of like all different kinds of things and be experimental. That would be really cool to see as opposed to this very like, you know, Hollywood formulaic uh, biopic. I would love to see something like that. Um, Yeah. There's all kinds of potential out there. Did you guys, um, 
Do you guys have a favorite Queen song that you go back to every time? I know, Bridget, you mentioned Fat Bottom Girls, but um, <laughs> what what is like? Have you been a Queen fan for long? And like, you know, do you have any particular favorites you like to go back to? Frankly, when I say I love Queen, it's like I love greatest hits. Um, yeah, it's Fat most Bottom, people. Fat Bottom Girls is still my favorite Queen song. It's just really, really fun, and it's got this great energy. And I haven't gotten bored with it from having to hear it at too many sport events so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but the one the songs that i have heard and love are just like so rockin are like some of the best rock songs of all time right yeah i mean i i listened to a lot of queen music like on the classic rock radio growing up because that's the station my parents had on when we, we would drive around but the night the opera album i've listened to that album so many times also as a kid that I could, I sing those lyrics from heart. I know that album back and forth. And uh, so I, this movie like also kind of worked on me just for having so much focus on that album, you know? And then, yeah, the one song, Love of My Life, got attention to it. And I feel like that song really gets attention. Um, so like, yeah, if you are a Queen fan, this movie does a couple things that will like pull at you that make you want to like it. Um, but I was resistant, but I think other Queen fans fell for it. Were there any scenes of the movie where it's like, as a Queen fan, Queen fan, like only I can understand this, and maybe Keith and I don't quite get. I, Keith, I don't know if you're a huge Queen fan. I, I mean, they're a good gateway to me. They were my gateway into like music, into like really delving into music in high school. It's just like, okay, like I know this song, but I want to like, don't stop me now is my favorite. Like, if you can montage, like film me dancing to it like montage style or singing with Paul Rudd. Like I loved, I loved that song. Uh, I think I would kill at it at karaoke, by the way. That's uh, what everyone thinks. That's right. what everyone thinks. But now I'm going to step back. I'm going to take a step back. Uh, I'm going to cross okay. that off my karaoke song list. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I did see like a docu or like one of those like youtube documentaries and on like freddie mercury and i just the more i like look into him the more i'm fascinated by him i'm i am fascinated by his his confidence the stories that you read and i'm like i got none of that in this film i i I got a sense of it like but they're like you you did your research for this movie i'm very uh i always appreciate a guest that does their research with like the howard stern interview Mm-hmm. And like we should have gotten some of those like heavy stories that he was talking about. Well, you know, if anything, this movie makes me wish I was watching a Freddie Mercury documentary. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I, who needs You'll get more out of that? Who needs like a predictable? <laughs> we'll have to settle for that at this point. <laughs> like, who needs a predictable and unfulfilling dramatization that is like half half haphazardly balancing queen's career and Freddie mercury's life when you can just have a really interesting documentary about one of those things you know like have two separate documentaries covering each one uh and i think that's somewhere i think that might have been suggested on amazon prime or something because like i rented this off of amazon so that might be my next thing i'm like all right let me get like the real deep dive into Freddie mercury because that's what i was He's such a fascinating craving. character like mm-hmm. he is an icon like i like watching that uh, or like just listening to all the stories about him. It's just, it's like, oh man, I got, well, yeah. It just makes me detest this movie. <laughs> it's like weird. Cause I feel like I don't know anything about him and I just rewatched this movie. <laughs> I learned way more about Freddie Mercury just doing my own research than I did from, you know, trying to watch this. Like there's maybe a couple little things people might not have known before that, uh, this movie gives you, but it's all very basic stuff that again a quick little google search might have might have told you about but without any real insight or um perspective on those on those things about him i mean i learned that he really liked cats i could have guessed that (laughs) (laughs) i'm like he seems like a cat person am i right all right i'm right okay case closed moving on well i like the historical inaccuracies in this movie are oh well that, I the, did, the, I, he just walked up to uh, like Queens, like, "Hey, I'm gonna be your singer." I'm like, "That's." Oh, I on. kind of howled when they just started harmonizing together right then and there. <laughs> he starts singing. I was like, "Is this pitch perfect?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like totally ridiculous. Probably the biggest, um, like, uh, probably the biggest inaccuracy 
is the timing of when he told his bandmates that he had AIDS. That was until well after Live Aid, right? Uh, that was, mm-hmm. again, just done because in this movie, Live Aid is the climax of the film, so it's going to be done beforehand. But that wasn't done. His bandmates didn't know that until years later. Uh, and, and they never so, broke up. They never broke up. Right. Like. Yeah, they, they, they definitely, yeah, they stayed together. So, because um, that's another cliche, right? I mean, that's something you would see a lot of times on um, Behind the Music or something on that, that old VH1 show. Like, oh, yeah, at the height of their fame, they had broken up and, you know, got into some, you know, tough times before getting back together for their redemption tour. You know, like, oh, okay. Like, what an original story. Never heard that one before. But right now, it's between us. All right, just us. So please, if any of you fuss about it or frown about it, or worst of all, if you bore me with your sympathy, that's just seconds wasted. Seconds that could be used making music, which is all I want to do with the time I have left. I don't have time to be their victim, their AIDS poster boy, their cautionary tale. No, I decide who I am. I'm going to be what I was born to be. A performer who gives the people what they want. Touch of the heavens. Freddie fucking Mercury. So, yeah, the rewatchability of this we mentioned before. And this seems like the kind of movie that wants to be a household classic, right? Wants to like if this had come out ten years earlier, right? It would be in everyone's like DVD collection on their big wall of DVDs, and maybe you would watch it a little more often now and then. But I feel like moviegoers now are much more savvy to the kinds of things this movie's trying to do, and so yeah, it doesn't even for people who really liked it. I doubt they go back to it that often. Oh, maybe they just look at the music scenes on YouTube and just go through that and are like, oh, yeah, that was a really cool movie. Okay. (laughs) Then that's leave it at that. I only go back to one or two scenes, but uh, I'm pretty sure I liked all of it. (laughs) I I occasionally meet the the person who goes like, oh, I like this movie. And I want to be like, do you really? And if they say yes, I'll be like, when's the last time you saw it? Yeah, because that, if that's you a only good saw it test. once and enjoyed it, you only saw it once and you enjoyed it. I get you're still coming off the glow. You like Rami Malek. I get it, but you can't. It's the rewatchability is just not there. I also get that this might be um, a good movie theater experience to some extent, especially at the live aid scene. Like if you saw this on a giant imax screen or something and you see that crowd it looks very impressive you know especially you know you get that super movie theater experience that could be really great to see on the big screen um like and then you see it at home and that whole all, all those benefits kind of just go away and you know that kind of sheds um yeah the movie back to uh, all the faults they come into light even more um so yeah i mean if um yeah, reading, reading through the uh, comment section of yeah, the audiences, um, uh, yeah, a lot of people came into it already saying they were Queen fans. So I think that this movie also benefits from the fact that people were like expecting to like it, right? I mean, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if you go into something like, okay, you already like Queen, and now they play a bunch of Queen music, and so you already that's what you kind of wanted. And if that's all you really wanted to get, then like, OK, you check that box off and you're a happy camper. Like, OK, great. Mm-hmm. You know, well, um, the so trailer maybe... was oh, sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't even. No, 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 no. Continue. The trailer I thought was really great. Like I was rewatching mm-hmm. the trailer just because I remember being so hyped for the movie. That's like, why? Why was I so dang hyped? That trailer is awesome. That trailer is like the live aid scene at the end it's got such great energy it seems like oh we cut in with all this intrigue from freddie mercury's life and this seems like it's going to be the best movie ever so maybe people went into it thinking it expecting it to be like the trailer so then in their minds it was you know i find that to be uh unfortunately very common these days where you have such great trailers to movies 
that don't pay off. And sometimes it seems that these movies, some specific scenes were made with the trailers in mind, right? Like, don't you ever see that sometimes when, like, oh, this actually does not even fit in the context of the movie itself, but it did really work in the trailer. So did they just make this for the trailer? You know, like, that's <laughs> that's the sign. Yeah, we saw that a lot in, for example, like a movie like Suicide Squad, right? It's just they're thinking of selling the movie, and they're not really thinking of the substance of it. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate, especially when it's a movie that had a lot more potential. Yeah, I... Well, weirdly, for the um, Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, I feel like there were a couple cuts in there that I do not remember from the movie. So maybe they did add a few things in there to make mm. it even more of a fraud than it already is. Hmm. <laughs> I need to oh, see this trailer. I do don't know, remember actually, this. Actually, okay, I, meant, I just mentioned the Suicide Squad trailer that also had Bohemian Rhapsody in it. You remember that? <laughs> Yes. Maybe all you need to do to sell a movie is have the song Bohemian Rhapsody in it, and that'll get people psyched <laughs> up. Because everyone knows that song. It makes uh, for a good movie fact, trailer. I think um, the, oh God, what was it? The the editors of the Suicide Squad movie, the main like business that organization does is put together movie trailers. Yeah. Which is why it was such a really fun trailer. You're totally right. That's like the main example of a really rockin' trailer. The when ninth you, company uh, that that movie went yeah. to to help edit their film <laughs> is trailers. Yeah, they did do it. I need to see this Bohemian Rhapsody trailer. That's probably – I definitely got people in the seats. This movie made almost like – it made $900 million. It was a, yes. it was a success – yeah. Um, and it's starting. It's you know we're in the trend now of, uh, you know we got Rocket Man, we got uh, there was a Motley Crue movie on Netflix, and basically you know we got an Elvis movie coming out. Madonna's directing. I really hope Madonna is listening to this podcast and <laughs> she promotes it because she's directing her own musical biopic. And oh. the lesson here is we don't like you know do look she, I'll stick up for Madonna hit every hit that she had in the eighties. Knockout. She like she is hitting grand slams. Yes, we know, Keith. We know. She, <laughs> no, she she can make her own. She could she could do something so different here. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess yes, yes. Um, I think we can all agree with that, uh, except for whatever Madonna haters are out there. But we won't have them on this podcast. Uh, but I, I'll say this: uh, I don't know if I like the idea of Madonna directing her own biopic not just i'm not trying to it's knock down my madonna. suggestion it's not my suggestion i'm, I'm not like... knocking down madonna i'm just saying no person should direct their own biopic uh just i don't know that doesn't sound like a good idea i mean not that the you know the the members of queen who were involved in this movie were the directors but they were certainly involved enough that it held the movie they were involved back. enough yeah. yeah you know what actually also comes Too to much. mind in terms of maybe like a movie like a music biopic that is doing something different and captures the spirit of his subject was that Bob Dylan uh, movie from years and years ago, right? The one where they had all those oh, different yeah. actors playing Bob Dylan. What was that called? Was it like something like I'm not here or something? I'm not there. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not anywhere. Uh, but that was a movie that really was, you know, again, Bob Dylan, this innovative, uh, legendary musician, they gave him a movie and a depiction that was totally different and out there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what you really have to do. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the subject is, you have to capture that. Um, and it just seemed like this movie was too focused on the queen aspect and not, not focused on the queen of Freddie Mercury. Um, okay, let's see where we're running at. Okay, so... Uh, if there's any other aspect of this movie you want to bring up before we go on to our own critical assessments. I, uh, yeah, I Bridget. will say the we haven't discussed the elephant in the room, the um, prosthetic teeth. Oh, I, yes. I didn't think that would be the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're all talking around it. Like we got to like tackle this head on. Yeah, what I do didn't want to say it. I was afraid to bring it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, what can you say? Freddie Mercury had those teeth. That's what gave him his like amazing vocal range, you know, right? Or, or supposedly, I don't know. But um, I feel like vocal cords have a lot to do with that too, not just the teeth. But um, I don't know. Were they too much for you guys? Do you think it was too ridiculous looking? I mean, 
I think part of the reason Rami Malek got the Oscar is because he was able to act so well despite having to have prosthetic teeth. You know, mm. the uh, Academy really go nuts for that kind of thing. <laughs> His Oscar had prosthetic teeth, like, on it. <laughs> As a, uh, yeah, there were a I couple mean, this, of things. There are a couple weird enough as it is. There were a couple of parts. I just felt a lot of times things were missing in this movie because they were trying to do, you know, both the band and the personal life stuff. Um, they just had to gloss over a lot of things on both ends. So, you know, I was kind of hoping maybe they would show a little bit of when uh, Freddie Mercury did the collaboration with David Bowie on Under Pressure. You know, maybe just have like a an actor do a cameo as David Bowie and just a quick little scene there or. Um, I don't know, even in the early stuff when the band's getting together, like all of a sudden, you know, he's performing with them as if they'd been doing this for years and it's only their first show or something. You know, it just seemed like they would skip over things. I just felt things were missing. Like I, I, John Deacon literally walks on stage. Right. And he was, I read, the fourth bassist they had before they took off. You know, he was just the one that stuck. I can understand, like, cutting out, like, the three other bases, like, just for time's sake. But, like, John Deacon is just like, eh, like, I'm here to play bass. Like, he's Sir kind of appearing in this movie. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even remember his intro. He he must have, like, really slipped in quick. I demand well, I, those first three bassists. Who also, were that's they? The, that's the boy from uh, Jurassic Park, all grown up. Uh uh, also, oh, that's awesome! And again, another actor who looks just like the guy he's betraying. I mean, you know, good oh, job. They got the wig. They got the perm. Yeah, dead on. I mean, the facial features too, like really, um, are are very similar. So good on casting. But you know, you get these actors who do look so much like the people they're portraying, but they don't do anything with them. They're just there. <laughs> like, come on! Like, if you hire, if you get this actor that looks so much like its subject, you would think the actor would want to do something you know, with, with that uh, potential. But no, they do the not. The script would not allow any potential <laughs> quality acting outside of Rami. So I give those actors a big pass. I'm really, uh, speaking of the script, just briefly, the script is written by, like, a, a pretty good screenwriter. He did, like, British biopics before. He did The Darkest Hour, Theory of Everything, and uh, uh, The Two Popes. The guy knows how to write. I oh, really sure. think that I really think there were so many hands in the plot of well you can't do that you have to do this. Oh, he had that. his hands his hands were tied because again he had to really uh, be constrained to what the band members wanted uh, in a biopic about themselves and how can you be creative when you're working under that circumstance you have to be totally I think um, like separated and divorced from your subject matter, at least on a personal level, you can't let them get involved in the content of a film about themselves. Uh, Cause yeah. then, you know, how can you have honesty in that kind of situation? Yeah. The two lessons from this movie are like, don't be involved in a biopic about yourself and stay away from Brian Singer. We don't need to get into that, but like, stay, stay away from him. That is the elephant in the room. The bigger <laughs> elephant. Prosthetic teeth are the small elephant. Yeah. Giant elephant is Brian Singer, but we will leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I do not want to be crushed by a giant elephant. My first meeting, I should have never carried on because a member of the band, I won't say who, said... Brian um, May. <laughs> I won't say who. Yeah. But he said, you know, this is such a great movie because it's got such an amazing thing happens in the middle of the movie. Uh -huh. I go, well, what happens in the middle of the movie? He goes, uh, you know, Freddie dies. I go, the movie. I go, all right. I go, all right. <laughs> so you mean it's a bit like Pulp Fiction? You know, the end is the middle and the middle is the end. Right, I go, all right. right that's right. really, <laughs> that's a wild, that's a wild movie. All right. That's interesting. I never thought about that. He goes, no, no, no. Normal movie. <laughs> I go, so wait a minute, what happens in the second half of the movie? He said, well, you know, we see how the band carries on from strength to strength. Uh, and I said, listen, I go, not one person is going to see a movie where the lead character dies from eight and then you carry on. And that would be just the craziest movie. The, guys, guys, we've got to carry on. Just wait till you see the movie I do about you, Howard. <laughs> uh, I think now we can... Get into uh, the part where we um, give our final thoughts on the movie and um, our, our uh, own percentage scores. And we'll find out who we're siding with. I think we already know, but let's make it official. So, uh, Bridget, your final thoughts and your percentage score. Um, final thoughts. I think one of the worst things a movie can be is mediocre. 
Like if it were mm-hmm. really, really bad, I will watch it a million times. If it were incredible, I will see it five million times. So for this movie, I'm siding with the critics. It's painfully mediocre. And I will give it 45%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Like in the middle is that's that's like the deep valley of that's like the dead zone basically you know i agree if mm-hmm. it was like so bad it was like campy and ridiculous it'd be like actually maybe a fun time maybe it could have been like a midnight theater sort of thing you know where they made it, it was so bad you maybe could get a kick out of it uh but no it just is it's just yep. them writing the flash gordon music <laughs> oh yeah that's another thing too the flash the that, i don't i don't even know if there's a scene where where freddie is wearing the flash shirt which he wore a lot around that time to promote the movie uh so again you're covering their careers but you're not really doing it i don't know uh but keith um what, what's your final take i hate this movie uh <laughs> no i for all the reasons that we talked about i i hate it um and the fact that it's mediocre does makes me like just of what could have been and I, and i don't want to speak for freddie mercury but i like to think that he would have hated it too <laughs> uh i am giving this a 30 nice yeah i think maybe the words he would have used is something along the lines of like dreadfully dull or something like that. <laughs> my would've... teeth aren't that big <laughs> <laughs> i i would like to think he would use like overly flourished language uh to deride this film uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that ultimately this movie is very pandering. It thinks it's doing things that are new and you know, it thinks it's being flashy and cool and fun, but it's not. It's very predictable and just frustrating. Not just the wasted potential, but just it acts like we haven't seen these things before. We have. Yeah. And many I, times. <laughs> I, 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 many, I, many times. My least favorite, one of my least favorite things of a movie is just uh, the pandering. You know, just an insult to the viewers and not trusting the viewers to want something bolder. You know, we want to know Freddy because we love Freddy. And it's kind of ridiculous to think that a movie that would be provocative about his life would tarnish his legacy in some way. That's people are going to still love Freddie Mercury no matter what. Um, so that's uh, a shame that you don't trust the fans. Uh, so I would give this, um, I'd give it like a down the line 50 right down the middle like it's uh, you know it's uh it's being the bare minimum of what's competent but not doing really anything above that it just barely is it's it's 50 to me we were talking about mediocre and down the line that is the dead zone you know um not enough good stuff to be good and not enough bad stuff to be so so bad just like so just just a blah yeah blah (laughs) unfortunately uh, so the working title of the movie, apparently, <laughs> <Blah>. <laughs> uh, I'd watch a movie called blah. Uh, so, uh, if we want to find out what our official score is, I don't know if you were calculating them. Keith. I was, uh, 41.6, which 41.6, which, you know, we're even lower than the critical score, but that is the closest score to where we are. So I officially decree that on Bohemian Rhapsody, we are siding with the critics. Um, you know, like I said, audiences do really like this and people enjoy this movie. Good for them. Uh, you know, I, I have actually sometimes get jealous of people who are able to enjoy something that I wanted to enjoy, but just wasn't able to. Um, so we might not go back to this film, but we'll go back to, to Queen's music more often than not. Maybe we'll just think of this movie as a big concert movie and just skip past some of the other scenes and then it would be super enjoyable. Yeah. If, if maybe if, if nothing else, maybe it like reignited some interest in Queens music, right? Maybe that was what the surviving band members wanted all along. I don't know. Boost their Spotify numbers. Who knows <laughs> if they did we that, free, then yay for them. We saw a free cover band. Yeah. They, they, they were, they were so, so they were, they were, <laughs> they were like we saw, we saw a free co- and we can go home into our cars and, reflect on that <laughs> and then like blast actual queen yeah exactly <laughs> yes. even though they were pl- singing actual queen like oh this isn't really a cover band at all um yeah they, that was kind of a bizarre touch um like real queen coming out of non-queen mouths i don't know that all was right, the other but... working title 
That was the that was the working subtitle. Blah colon real queen coming out of non queen mouse. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Bridget, for joining yeah. us for uh, this so first much. episode of our new season. Thank you. Had a great time talking uh, about a movie I don't like. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed being here, even though it was a movie that you did not like. But, you know, we'd like to get you on again sometime. And, uh, you know, maybe it will be a movie that you do like next time. Totally. Hopefully. Uh, we'll <laughs> be see. super fun. We'll see. But, uh, you know, some people have more fun bashing movies than praising them. So, you know, we'll, we'll see which one you prefer. Um, but uh, thank you guys for uh, joining us again for uh, this new season. Look out for uh, more episodes coming soon. And I uh, hope everyone's New Year's off to a great start. But, uh, you know, until next time, guys, uh, you know, that's Bye. it. Bye. <laughs> wait, wait, let me start. They do this time. Okay. <laughs> One more time. Um, hope everyone's uh, New Year's is off to a great start. And, um, you know, we are looking forward to bringing you guys more divided films. So, uh, you know, until next time, guys, thanks a lot.